0: Support for Industry Focus comes from TurboTax Live, new from TurboTax. Now you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or EA right on your screen. Talk live with a tax expert as often as you need for tax advice to help you file with confidence. Go to TurboTaxLive.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, February 16th, and we're doing a rundown on delisting. I'm your host Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Senior Tech Specialist Evan New. Evan, what's going on? Not a whole lot. You know, astute listeners may notice that last week's tech show was and this week's tech show are both on fairly evergreen topics, uh, and that is because we pre-recorded them.
1: You're going out of town for a little while.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta cover my bases here, uh, listeners. I will be out of town uh, the second through the twentieth. I'm going to be traveling to India. For a friend's wedding. Um, and so last week's episode and this episode were both recorded ahead of time. We're actually recording this on the first. Uh, so if any earth shattering tech news came out during that period, we will be sure to hit it uh, once I come back. But in the meantime, we're going to be having a little discussion about delisting. Um, this might be a topic that people aren't all that familiar with. If you're an investor, frankly, it's something you don't really want to have any personal experience with, right, Evan?
1: Yeah, it's not really a, a good thing. I mean most delistings are bad. Um there's a few circumstances when they're not really negative. They're not really good, but they're just not bad.
0: <laughs> and what we're talking about here when we say delisting is basically a stock being taken off of an exchange.
1: Right. So, you know, for example, a company could voluntarily delist itself from an exchange, which would be usually would be in a situation if they're getting acquired or if let's say they're going private which usually means they're being acquired by like a private equity firm or something. Um, but sometimes companies also decide to change which exchange they trade on, um, in which case they delist from one and then list on another. For example, T-Mobile switched a year or two ago from, I forget which which way, but either from NASDAQ to New York or New York to NASDAQ, but it doesn't really make a huge difference. But in the vast majority of cases, delisting is absolutely a bad thing because it usually means the company is failing to meet some of the basic listing requirements, which can be things like filing reports with the SEC in a timely manner, maintaining a minimum share price, meeting minimum financial metrics around revenue or shareholders' equity, among a few other requirements.
0: And kind of similar to uh, the index discussion that we had last week, you know, these exchanges have certain requirements in place. Um, and in some ways, being on a public exchange is a stamp of legitimacy. And so these requirements. Are basic hurdles that companies should cover that theoretically are in place to also protect the average investor.
1: Right, right, and and exchanges are uh, very um, heavily regulated, so there's a lot of investor protections kind of built into it there. Um, And yeah, there is a certain amount of prestige for you know getting your stock listed on a major exchange, which is why, for you know, for example, when companies go public, they they do the ceremonial ringing of the opening bell. And they have a big party of celebration, and you know, just kind of to celebrate. And yeah, there's a little, little bit of prestige there.
0: You mentioned some of the elements that are requirements, and just a couple of specific examples from the New York Stock Exchange. Their delisting document says a company will be considered to be below compliance standards if the average closing price of a security, as reported on the consolidated tape, is less than one dollar over a consecutive thirty-day trading period which is a mouthful, and that is a ton of legalese. But basically, if a stock is trading down in penny stock territory, uh, the company is put on notice and then has a certain amount of time, I believe it's six months after being notified, to have their share price above a dollar for an extended period of time to uh, basically maintain their status on the exchange. Similarly, there is a market cap requirement for the New York Stock Exchange. Again, this is from their delisting document, talking about how If a stock's average global market cap over a consecutive 30 day trading period is less than 50 million and at the same time stockholder equity is less than 50 million, it will be considered below compliance. Uh, So these are things that are in some ways protectionist, also something that kind of maintains the prestige of the exchange itself. Um, So, Evan, if you are holding a stock that gets delisted, what happens? Where do the shares actually go?
1: So if if a stock actually goes all the way, it gets delisted, and it's usually, as we mentioned, one of these bad scenarios, Uh, they can still trade over-the-counter on the bulletin boards, which is OTCBB, or on the pink sheets. Both are a lot less regulated, uh, but the pink sheets are are even worse, so there's really not a whole lot of regulation on on the pink sheets, and I've always kind of considered it like the wild, wild west, because a lot can happen, um, and not in a good way.
0: Yeah, this space that we're talking about, the pink sheets and the OTC shares, is really a space that is right for speculation and price manipulation. You know, We have a lot of cautionary pieces on Fool.com talking about penny stocks, and this is the space we're talking about, where if a stock is small enough, you know, if shares are cheap and the market cap is small enough, uh, the share price can pretty easily be manipulated by a couple of really buzzy PR pieces. Or some news that kind of comes out of nowhere that doesn't really seem to have legitimacy, and that's where average investors can get swept up in uh, you know pump and dump schemes.
1: Right, right. It's it's you just have to be really careful anytime anytime you're trading things on the pink sheets or on on over the counter. I mean, I think the probably the best example of stuff that's not too you should you don't need to worry too much about are a lot of foreign companies Um, if they have ADRs listed here, but they're not a major exchange. Uh, large foreign companies might sometimes trade over the counter, and that's not really a big deal. That's fine because these are large, well known companies. I mean, a couple of examples Samsung <laughs> trades over the counter, the ADR trades over the counter, and Samsung's obviously a humongous company. It's not like it's some crazy penny stock. Tencent is a big, one of the largest Chinese tech companies in the world. They trade over the counter, the ADR does. So, you know, I mean, there, there are certainly some examples of over the counter stocks that you don't have to worry about. But uh, at the same time, there's definitely you know, the penny stocks, the better trading over the counter. Yeah, yeah you want to watch out for that.
0: <laughs> and the stuff that we're talking about on today's show, for the vast majority of the stocks that the average investor holds, certainly in my portfolio, you know, I am looking at fairly large cap companies, very established businesses that aren't going to fall into that you know sub fifty million dollar market cap territory. But if you are an investor that is working in that space what should you be watching for when it comes to delisting and maybe why a company is being delisted
1: i think that's the key thing is you know if, if your stock's being delisted the absolutely most important thing is to look at why like what is it that's causing it and if they you know failing to meet some of these basic requirements then certainly that's a bad thing and when you see a notice that your stock is at risk of being delisted that's not a notice you want to get because it's it's almost always a bad thing I mean, certainly if you get news that your stock is getting acquired by some big company for a 50% premium and your stock won't get delisted, you you're not gonna really mind <laughs> hearing that news.
0: Yeah, actually um on the flip side, the bad side of delisting, one of the reasons that I was kind of interested in doing this show was, you know, in the flurry of blockchain news that has come out over the last couple months with the rise of Bitcoin and that coming into the consciousness. Um you know, we saw that news from Long Island Teco changing their name to Long Blockchain and <laughs> and the massive meteoric rise of their market cap and stock in the time that uh, you know followed after that announcement and a Bloomberg piece came out and I think this is something that Market Foolery mentioned at one point kind of closer to the actual news. A Bloomberg piece noted that the company was dangerously close to being delisted prior to them making this Long Blockchain announcement. And so, if you are watching companies that are in the smaller market cap space, these micro caps and these small caps, and you see them making big, flashy announcements full of buzzwords that are kind of empty on execution, um, that might be a company that is kind of circling the drain, could be delisted, and is kind of desperately looking for ways to avoid it.
1: Right. Or you could do like a reverse stock split to artificially raise your share price <laughs> yeah
0: yeah if, if an exchange has a minimum share price uh, requirement, like I said the New York Stock Exchange does as does the Nasdaq um, and a company is at risk of falling below that, they can do a little bit of financial engineering to make sure that they're above it. Um, that is not to say that the company should be delisted um, or, or wouldn't would, would want to avoid being delisted. but if you see a company saying we are going to do a reverse stock split, that's just shuffling the number of slices. It, it's not really making a material change to the business. If it's struggling and is on a general downward trajectory, that's certainly not going to change with them doing the reverse stock split.
1: Right, and that's obviously a reverse stock split does not affect the market cap, which, as we mentioned, there are requirements on market cap. So, um, reverse stock split will only affect the share price, not the market cap.
0: And I'm less skeptical of a company doing a reverse stock split to stay alive on the. Exchanges because you know that that is something that gives them more life and isn't uh, really materially changing the business. You know I'm not a, a huge fan of things on the administrative side that might cost money and effort, but don't actually do anything for the business, which is what anything in the stock split realm kind of does. But what it does do is buy a company time. Uh, that said, if you see a company doing this, it may be a red flag. It might be something that you might want to watch because you could be on the path to having your shares delisted down the road. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about the pros of being listed on an exchange, which is, I think, an important counterpoint to make. But before we get over to that part of the discussion, I want to give a shout out to TurboTax Live. Support for Industry Focus comes from TurboTax Live, new from TurboTax. Now you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or EA right on your screen. Quickly connect to a tax expert via a one-way video as often as you need for answers and advice on your taxes. You can even have an expert review and return before you file, making any necessary changes, and it is all backed with a 100% accuracy guarantee. File with complete confidence. Connect with a TurboTax Live expert today at TurboTax.com. Okay, Evan, we have been dogging companies that get delisted and talking about the requirements for what it takes to stay on these exchanges why don't we take a look at the flip side here and the benefits of being listed in the first place?
1: Yeah, I think that's a useful angle to, to look at it, because obviously if you delist, you lose all these benefits. Right? <laughs> um, I think the the most important benefit, I think, is, is really just greater liquidity. Um, and there's a lot of, kind of, benefits related to market mechanics that all tie into liquidity. Uh, For example, market depth is one, which is a measure of liquidity that gauges the market's ability to sustain large orders without impacting the market price. And and this is important if you have a broad investor base. And certainly, you know, when companies go public, they by definition broaden their investor base quite a bit. So then you have a lot of market participants and these investors are going to want to be able to buy and sell um, their shares and ideally not impact the price too much. Um, and this also relates to price continuity, which is a measure of market depth that basically means that you can have small price changes as the market fluctuates. So for example, if you don't have price continuity, the, the price can jump around quite a bit. So you know, let's look at an extreme example. Let's say you know some stock is being offered at $50, but the next best offer is $60. If you put an order in that blows through both of those offers. The price jumps ten dollars, which is obviously not a good thing, and contributes to volatility. And I, so, ideally, the next best offer is just a few pennies higher, uh, which would allow you know, relative price continuity. You know, and, and that's the case for most stocks you see in the exchange. You know, the, the next highest offer just a couple pennies higher, so you're not going to have these wild swings.
0: Yeah, if you're looking at your online brokerage and you look at any, you know, mid-large cap company, the bid ask spread. Between what you can buy and what people are looking to sell shares for is often not very large.
1: Right. the it'll, The spread itself will just be pennies. But even if you look at just one side of uh, either of the bids or the offers within those orders, yeah, you know, you're going to have a lot of orders backing up. So, you know, at, at, a, at the net, at the best offer, there will be a bunch of orders, and the next best offer will be just you know typically a penny more or maybe two pennies. But that's a good thing for for investors because it allows you to actually have a lot of liquidity.
0: What about price discovery, Evan?
1: I think uh, yeah. another good um, benefit is that yeah, you have price discovery, which you know the market is an extremely powerful price discovery tool because you have millions and millions of investors every day, both long and short, out there in the market voting with their wallets on what a stock should be worth. And that's incredibly useful for an investor to be able to readily look up what their stocks are worth at any time and you know get a quote and know they can sell them at those prices very easily. Now, in contrast, if you're a private company that you, that's not you know listed on exchange or anything, uh, private company valuations are typically negotiations between small groups of people, you know, investment bankers, uh, CFOs, venture capitalists. And while these people are, are very intelligent and they know what they're doing, it's still a, a relatively small number of people that are you know basically deciding what a company is worth. Um, And then that can cut both ways because of course the market can overreact both positively and negatively bubbles can form you can get hyped up things Uh, but generally it's more efficient for price discovery um now that being said i'm not going to say i'm a huge proponent of like efficient market hypothesis per se but just kind of in general i think that you know you do have that is a benefit for investors because if you're if you're holding stock you want to know that what the stock is worth and you want to know that you can go sell it and that also ties into Employees for these companies, because oftentimes employees get shares as compensation, and without being able to cash out those shares, that's not really, you know, that's that's not good for those employees because the compensation benefits, or the retention benefits, are severely undermined if you don't really have um, that liquidity.
0: Yeah, if you're at a private company, um, there's a chance that you get valuation rounds, maybe quarterly or maybe twice a year or something like that, from a valuation firm, and it might be that there are. Fairly steep jumps or dives, based on the previous round of uh, of the valuation. You know, you may go from say a thirty dollar valuation one quarter down to a twenty five, and and you don't have uh, more of a gradient to that. It, it can be very sharp adjustments to what you hold and what it's worth. Um, and additionally, you know, the ability to get rid of those shares at some point, or the Uh, ability to have a market available where you can buy and sell private company shares is very often determined by the board, right? It is not something that uh, is constantly available, you don't have liquidity events every day.
1: Right, exactly. And I think another important benefit is just simply the better access to capital markets. If a company needs to raise capital through debt or stock offerings, (laughs) being on the exchange and Having access to that you know those investors and being able to to raise money when you need it to grow the business or for whatever reason is is also a huge benefit
0: you got to love those opportunities for shareholder dilution right <laughs> <laughs> that is uh that is a page from Tesla's book right there uh, <laughs> and maybe that's something we will cover next time I'm going to be out of town for an extended period of time shareholder dilution that's another evergreen topic that is always worth diving into Evan <laughs> Uh, Evan, I think that pretty much does it for delisting and the benefits of being listed on an exchange. Anything else before I let you hop off? No, I think we're good. All right, Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out The Fool's family of shows over at fool.com. podcasts As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Shout out to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. He lobbied hard for some pop filters for the microphones in the studio. I'm hoping my P's and B's start sounding a little bit bit better right there. That's a perfect example. Just hit that B pretty hard. Um, Listeners, if I still sound atrocious, please let me know. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis, thanks for listening and Fool on!